Hi everyone! Drew and I have a voicemail for you today to start this episode. As you probably know, the series finale of Supernatural aired last week, and we have a message for our listeners. All three of us at Carrying Wayward believe that family doesn't start or end in blood. We know and believe in the importance of chosen family. We want our queer listeners to know that you are valued and valid in your sexual orientation and gender identity, whether you are out or not. For our listeners with disabilities, your stories matter. Finally, we want our listeners to know that people living with mental illness can and do live full, happy lives. We can't always promise a safe space on this podcast, as we too are human and flawed, but we do promise a soft space, a space of growth, acceptance, and accountability. We know the finale was hard for a lot of people. We see you, we hear you, and we love you. And we hope you'll enjoy this episode. Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 1, Episode 3, Dead in the Water. Let's get this show on the road. I'd love to let our listeners know that we are recording these episodes a little bit in advance to when they're actually being released. So we are actually recording this on Saturday, November 7th. And if you remember, which it really wasn't that far away, it has been a week, quite the week. Just before we started recording, the American election was called for Joe Biden. The, the wave of relief. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes, Absolutely. And on Thursday, uh, Supernatural aired the 18th episode of season 15 entitled Despair. <sighs> I don't know if you guys are... <laughs> I just... Sorry. I, just, I can hear it in your voice. Sorry. Continue. I know. I was going to say, my, my voice doesn't sound the way that it usually does. And that's because I have been crying since Thursday. So collectively, in the world and as a fandom, we're going through a lot of emotions. <laughs> We had done a little disclaimer in the first episode saying that there would be a time where I might start blubbering, and I think that the blubbering has started. <laughs> <laughs> this has opened so much for me in terms of reflection and whatnot. So today, we are looking at episode three of the first season of Supernatural, Dead in the Water. Well, Drew, are you ready for another speedy recap? I think so. I did not mentally prepare as much this time, but I, I, I wanted to go in a little more raw. I feel like last time I was overprepared, so it was too quick. This time I'm underprepared, but I want it to be just right. So count me in. Three minutes. On three, two, one, go. We open on a family by a lake. Obviously, they look happy, which means things aren't going to go good. We have the daughter jump into the lake. Daughter mysteriously vanishes, which I totally called. And we start the episode. Something's in the water. It's killing people. Bodies aren't being found. It's not the first time. It's been happening for a while. We get the brothers thinking it could be a creature or a demon. I was hoping for a Loch Ness monster, even though clearly we're not in Scotland, but I love Nessie. We then get... Sorry, I'm blabbering. Where do we go next? Uh, I feel like a lot of this episode's really like just calm and collected and talkative and like meeting people and learning. Um, we finally get a woman who actually calls Dean out for being a sleazeball, which is kind of fun, uh, with her adorable kid who doesn't talk, which we'll get to later. Um... The kid is somehow connected to this because his father died in the same mysterious way on the lake. And now he doesn't talk, but he draws surprisingly well with crayons. And he gives Dean a drawing, and it turns out he predicted the next death, which was the son from the beginning of the episode. So now this poor father has lost both his kids. And we get that really creepy line, it's worse than dying, which we end here repeated later from another old lady who lost her son much younger, uh, much longer ago, but this time not to the lake. Um, the brothers get kicked out of town. They think they've solved it because uh, the father from the beginning has been killed by whatever was in the lake, and they think he was the one that was causing the spirit to be mad. And then we find out that it was not because it tries to kill um, the the girl in the episode. I really the names terrible, not getting names in this one. Uh, and then we find the bike that the kid has been drawing buried halfway in point. the yard. Ah, uh, uh, halfway point. I'm totally nearly done. Um, <laughs> you scared me for no reason. <laughs> I have time to I have time to complain Go even. That's how much time I have. <laughs> Um, we finally settled on it was the spirit of the kid who owned the bike that we saw in one of the drawings from the kid who was not speaking and we discover that 
Uh, he was accidentally drowned because they were kids and they were bullying him. And he's been slowly taking away everyone that, that he loves from the people who were involved in his accidental drowning. And then finally, the uh, town sheriff, who clearly had, uh, was the ringleader of this whole thing, sacrifices himself to save his grandson. And everything is better. And unfortunately, she kisses Dean on the lips, which is a really weird way to end the episode. But it gives us a lot of good Dean time. And it's, a, I guess, a really morose ending, surprisingly. But the spirit is quelled. Time. 35 seconds left. You did great. Damn. I also feel like this episode, like as I'm doing the recap, I realized there is a lot of content. Like this is a very Dean yes. heavy episode. We learn a lot about Dean and his relationship to his mother, despite there being virtually no time growing up with her. I feel like mm-hmm. Sam is more of a bystander this episode. Mm-hmm. And it's all about Dean and you'll tell me her name hopefully in a second, the, the female lead in this episode. Andrea, that's her name. Andrea, thank you. I, yes. wow, like, I, I'm usually bad with names, but, like, not even, like, most times I'm, like, I'll admit I'm bad and then make a guess and usually be close. Not even a guess. But I will say for the majority of this episode, she was at least somewhat more developed. She had a bit more character, mm-hmm. at least. I agree. Obviously, we have that really fun moment where, like, she makes fun of Dean for hitting on her and he, she, like, mm-hmm. kind of, like, calls him out and, like, does, like, basically, like, it would have been in a modern day show. It would have been the, mm-hmm, snap, 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 and then walked away. <laughs> But, I mean, this entire episode's really about Dean. Like, yes. I'm trying to think, what does Sam do this episode? Except for question Dean, like, two or three times. And it's, you know, the last time that we talked about this, I, I said that there would be a balance, right? And, like, a cycling of this, where there will be episodes where you'll see that one of the brothers needs to take up emotional space, and then another episode where it's the other brother that needs to take up emotional space. And and in this one, it is certainly Dean. And again, in light of the episode that aired last week, I feel really called to pay particular attention to the ways in which Dean's trauma shows up in his relationships. And so today, like I have a few things that I'd like to discuss with you with regards to that. I just want to mention a couple of things like to add to your recap that I think oh, please, are a little yes, bit of course, interesting. Always. Yes. While while they're not important in the episode, they will they I think that they show some some things that I, I think we need to mention. So first Ooh, of all, please. the little army men. Yeah. So do yes. you remember the little army men? That was one of yes. the so again, I I always hate to say this because I feel like it's cheating a bit, but I do see it listed in the <laughs> notes. And that just to me yes. goes like was there more to the army men than just the fact that like we have that connection between the army men and the kid who died in the lake? Well, so what we're seeing, yeah, so there is that at the very like literal level, right? Because so Lucas ends up liking the army men and we're thinking that it's because of his connection to Peter, uh, the the deceased child, the spirit in this particular Mm -hmm. episode. But there's also a connection between Dean and little army men because he says, you know, oh, I used to love those as a kid. And interestingly enough, right around the end of season five, we will see that little army men are actually really quite important to Dean, but also to Sam. Yes. Uh, They bring them back, I think, to a place like to happy memories in their childhood. And so little army men are something to kind of keep in mind i'm not sure that they show up in other episodes apart hmm. from the ones that i'm clearly thinking about but this is a, like a funny like foreshadowing moment or not funny at all it's absolutely tragic but <laughs> it's 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 a moment of foreshadowing interesting though like i really didn't think about like i mean dean makes the line and i just sort of threw it away as a like oh you're trying to just connect with the kid like as someone who grew up as a little boy who didn't have little army men at some point? I don't think I ever mm. bought them or owned them, but I definitely played with them. I have distinct memories of holding one at some point. Like, I don't know how and where, but I think every male child at some point handled these toys. The other thing that I wanted to mention, just a little bit of trivia. So near the end of Ooh. the episode, uh, Lucas starts speaking again. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and Dean goes, oh, so now that you're speaking, there's something that you need to know. Zeppelin rules. <laughs> and that's a very cute, like, lovely moment because you truly see that in this episode, the person with whom Dean is bonding the most is not Andrea. It's actually Lucas. So we can talk about that a bit more in critical time, perhaps. But that just as a piece of trivia, Jensen Ackles actually ended up naming one of his children Zeppelin. Oh, really? That's so cute. Yeah, so Zeppelin is important to, to Jen, not only to Dean, but to Jensen as well. And so that sort of, to me, starts 
like this pattern of things that we're seeing where Jensen Ackles and Dean Winchester sort of like do this mind melt that happens over 15 years. So that's that's one thing that I just wanted to mention. That is cute. I always love that kind of trivia. Like that is my like my favorite thing is watching a movie like on a repeat because I love knowing the little Mm -hmm. trivia. Like I have unfortunately memorized the trivia for Scott Pilgrim versus the world. If you ever watch that movie (laughs) with me, I am apologizing in advance. Oh, goodness. I totally get it. Like, so one of the very first movies that I really enjoyed as a as a teenager was Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And like, I needed to know everything about that movie. <laughs> and so <laughs> I watched all of the special, like any special content that came with the DVD. I was constantly online trying to learn about how they made it. And to a certain degree, I would credit that movie with getting me into movies in general like i'm not too sure why but clearly like there was something in that story that called me and that's really where i began like reading movies the way that i read books or the way that i read books i had already been reading books in a way that you know was looking for deeper meanings and allegory etc but that movie for some reason made me see that there were ways of doing that with film as well and that's what sparked my interest in film so yeah no that's amazing and i always love knowing that kind of origin of people because i feel it helps you understand how they watch movies i feel the movies for me that did that to me the most were horror movies so that's why i'm really enjoying the horror aspect of supernatural Mm -hmm. to the point where there are horror movies that i that actually scared me as like i I say a kid i was probably like 15 16 but that actually like scared me to the point that i like had trouble watching them so I learned everything mm-hmm. about the special effects and the writing and the everything to the point where I could just watch it and laugh at it or watch it and go, ah, yes, because in this scene, they blah, 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 blah. It became like a coping mechanism for horror movies that now makes horror movies more enjoyable for me. That's so cool. So for you, it was horror. And for me, it was emotionally stunted men. Cool. There we go. Two horrifying things. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we move into the brothers? I, as I had already said, I feel like this episode was very Dean-focused, and uh, to go along with what you had said earlier, too, you're right that sometimes it's going to be an ep- I assume we'll have episodes like this with Sam as well, where really it just comes down to one of the brothers. We need to focus on one of them to learn more about them, and in doing so, we learn more about them and their world and their relationship with people, uh, like we do here with his mother. Absolutely. Their mother. So, their, their mother. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right, they're brothers. <laughs> I fully get that, but I also understand that Dean, I think, has been grieving his mother in a different way than Sam. And I think that we see that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But remember that Dean remembers his mom. Sam was six months old. He doesn't remember Mary. No, so, and we do very clearly have a small moment between the two of them uh, where Sam even, like, I think Sam's biggest moment in the episode is turning to Dean going, like, I didn't realize you remembered that. I didn't realize it affected you that way. Yeah. You play it off, and they have a serious moment to then Dean going, do we have to hug now? Like, he literally, <sighs> like Sam says, played it off. Yes, and that, to me, is also an indication of, like, of his trauma and how it manifests in his relationship with his brother, where, you know, he's remembering something that's really quite emotional and he's unable to talk about it. Let's remember that for season 15. Dean just has trouble <laughs> verbalizing his emotions. And we see it right there in season one. And this is a perfect example. The only time where he's able to talk about it a little bit more is with Lucas. And Lucas doesn't, Lucas doesn't talk to him, right? It's a, it's a clearly unspoken bond that happens between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he said, D- Dean says things like, oh, I think I know how you feel. When I was your age, I saw something. And he's unable to say the rest, right? He He's unable to talk about what he saw. And this is all in relation to Lucas seeing his dad drown. So we can assume that this is in, re- in relation with Dean, you know, not seeing his mom die because I don't think that he saw her die, but mm-hmm. knowing what it is that killed her, you know, and he does say, My mom, she wanted me to be brave. I think about that every day. And perhaps to Dean, like, being brave means to carry on and to not talk about certain things because perhaps that's also something that he learned from John. Yeah, that would make sense. I feel like it's we're seeing a character who, for the most part, is very reserved and, like, keeping the emotions bottled up inside. And then finally seeing someone who we can see himself in as a kid, kind of letting him break that mold and go... 
less of the basically stepping out of John's spotlight and stepping into the limelight that Mary has left for him in this case to basically say, be strong, you know, be brave, keep fighting. Mm -hmm. I think it really gives us, again, I'm going to repeat it a bunch this episode. This is a really good growth of Dean episode in such a short time. Do you think that when he's talking to Lucas and trying to comfort him, it's also a way for Dean to talk to his own inner child and to comfort him too? Oh, yeah, no, I literally, like, that was the number one thought I had here. Like, I hate to use literally that quickly, but, like, (laughs) that was 1,000% him using Lucas as his own therapy. Mm, And I don't think, I don't want it to come across as, like, a negative thing. Like, I don't want to be like, he shouldn't have done that. But I think it's a realization he has as he's talking to him that comes out Mm -hmm. as very, like, oh, I see what I just did there. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's not like he trauma dumped on on Lucas, right? It was a very Mm -hmm. gentle way of approaching it. And so I'm reluctant to think that it was a bad thing necessarily. No. Perhaps not super healthy to only realize your deep emotions when you're talking to a child. But at least, you know, there was no trauma perpetrated against Lucas or, you know, like Dean didn't pass that on to Lucas. And I really do appreciate Dean for that. Yeah. It really does give us a nice little view of Dean. I feel like, and this isn't making fun of Dean, Dean is the guy who would go to therapy against his will, but as soon as he was given, like, a puppet or, like, a plushie of some sort to talk to, he would just blubber out in front of it. Mm. Like, he needs to connect with something he sees himself in. He can't just talk to another person because that's unmanly. But when he's doing it to comfort someone else and growing because of the experience, it works. So as soon as there's a level of, like, removal from other adults in the scene, he can be his true self. Mm -hmm. Oh, do I love that. (laughs) There's, so, no, it's true, I do, because there's also this idea that develops over the course of the first few seasons that Dean doesn't feel worthy of love. So we're not quite seeing it here yet, but this is something that we will see. He feels like he's not worthy of love, and so for him to be present as a comfort to someone else is a way to not to give love without necessarily needing to or without asking to receive it back. So I really love that observation of yours. Oh, thank you. <laughs> if we're moving to like a bit of a, a a different point, I'm about to get a little religious on you. Ooh, get that dirty religion <laughs> on me. That sounded weird. <laughs> that did sound a little weird, but moving on. Um, so we know that the show takes on some pretty serious religious tones later on and we can't even say undertones here like it's very open tones i would like to look at the names that are chosen for this particularly john's name so we'll look at other names at different times because Mm -hmm. to me all of their names have a significance but if we're looking at john so i did a little bit of research about who are the important johns in the bible okay because i don't know any of them (laughs) Well, one of them is John the Baptist. Who is a name I do actually know. Yes, no there I- you go. <laughs> I have no idea what he did or who he was, but it's a very good Depeche Mode song. Well, let me... T- oh, <laughs> oh <good. laughs> So for your information, John the Baptist is actually the man who baptized Jesus. Huh. Um, so let's... So I won't go into a religious explanation of what a baptism is, especially in Christian tradition, because there are different ways of looking at it. But... If we're looking at baptism as an initiation into something, mm-hmm. let's let's look at that. And plus, you talked also a lot about their dad being their guide, especially in the last episode. You know, when you had mentioned two things last episode, one, that their dad was their guide, and two, that Haley, after coming in contact with the brothers, could have somehow gone on to become a hunter herself. Mm-hmm. And... This makes me think of like each episode as a baptism of sorts, you know, where the boys introduce people to the supernatural and then let them choose their own way, right? So people, the people that they save are now initiated to the supernatural and then they can choose to go on and become hunters. Now, again, that's not a perfect metaphor for baptism. If we're coming back to that, technically under the guidance of their father, they're essentially baptizing people into the supernatural world. And this episode sort of takes this quite literally with Sam and Dean, especially Dean in this case, Mm -hmm. pulling Lucas out of the water. I mean, the visual is so strong when they come out there. And they're also trying to warn people, particularly Bill Carlton, 
They're trying to warn them away from the water. You know, hunting is bad. It will kill you. But we don't have a choice but to pull you out of the water. So I don't know. I was kind of wondering what your thoughts were about that. And if I'm just like overreading this episode. So I'm going to say right away, as soon as you brought up John the Baptist, I'm like, I know what a baptism is. And you're right. There is that level of the way their father raised them, kind of like a trial by fire. But I didn't even like even when you started talking about it, I did not think that was the direction you were going to take of the way they induct people into the world of the supernatural. You know, how many people they left behind who now know there's more to the world than what they once knew. And I'm sure some of them will go on to either research it or become hunters themselves or at least be more aware of it. And then there's some who are just going to like forget about it and pretend it never happened and write it off as a weird experience. But I did not even think about that from an episode by episode basis. They really are inducting people into this order of the supernatural in a sense like a baptism. And now that you say it, yeah, the visual in this episode is very on the nose. But yeah, right. (laughs) It does make sense. I mean, especially how we kind of said last episode that the family structure last episode, the fact that it was a family of three, it was Haley and her two brothers, really, mm-hmm. and one of them is missing. It was a real good simile for Dean and Sam looking for their father. It's two missing of the one. It's a family that is missing yeah. somebody. Mm-hmm. Here we kind of have that same thing. We have a child who has gone through a traumatic supernatural experience and unfortunately did not have a John to show them the way. This time Mm -hmm. it kind of became Dean being the John in this scenario of baptizing him into the Order of Supernatural. Aww. (laughs) No, but that brings up the whole idea of like, and I mean, anyway, we'll for sure get into that a bit later. I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but... (laughs) But That's a lot of the show, though, is there's so much to grow. Yes, there's just so much. But that idea, that passing of tradition from father to son... Mm-hmm. There's just there's a lot of that, and I love that you read Dean as passing on his knowledge to Lucas in this mm-hmm. uh, because I certainly hadn't seen it like that, but it it's really quite beautiful. So thank you for bringing it up. Oh, I'm glad I could, and I I love your metaphor too of of using baptism in a sense of in I mean it really is a baptism to my minimal knowledge of the Catholic and Christian religions is inducting you into the order of the religion which sounds very cultish when I say it out loud and I don't mean to offend, but it's kind of like what they do every day is every episode there. I mean, I'm assuming it'll be episodes where it's a little different, but for the most part, they are meeting Mm -hmm. people who have never really encountered the supernatural in a way that they've accepted it. And here they are basically saying it's real. We're asking you to accept it so we can move on. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we get a really quick turnaround on that when they first present the idea of ghost Peter to bill. And he's like, yeah, no, the ghost ghost kid I killed is killing people. That's really made up, you silly boys. I'm going to shoot yeah. one of you now. To literally, like, the next scene, he is jumping into the water and saying, take me, take me, take me, leave Lucas alone. Which, again, 100%, I don't yeah. doubt would be what would happen in that scenario. Like, if I had to, mm-hmm. if I were in his shoes and that was my mentality, I think that would be the, even if I think this is completely made up and crazy, I'm going to turn around and do it. Which, now that I say out loud, you kind of have that whole people finding religion later in life when it's right at the end because they realize Mm -hmm. they need to make peace. A little bit of a weird connection to make there, but again... No, no, well, it it talks, again, like, you know, needing to make peace is a very important thing that also comes up in the episode that just... Are you okay? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. So, we've talked a little bit about Dean... We've then stepped back and talked about the episode. Now, let's step back again and look at how this episode fits into the bigger arch of especially seasons one through five. Please. Thank you. To me, this episode is truly about vengeance. And I don't know if you disagree with that, but it just it's a very like simple way of looking at it, right? Like you've got Mm -hmm. a vengeful spirit that goes after the loved ones of his killers. Yeah. Even if we look at it from the angle of the line that the spirit keeps repeating is, come play with me, which I'm just going to say right now, you put a child's voice into something spooky, you just double the spooky factor. <laughs> yeah, the creepy children of Supernatural is a, is a, a theme also. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Creepy children are the best. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I mean, they set the tone with episode one and the creepy children there. This Ugh, is just yeah. another one, another instance. But mm-hmm. yes, a lot of creepy children in these seasons. So the reason I bring this up, though, is 
as much as I definitely agree with the angle of this is clearly vengeance, this is a spirit getting revenge, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound very vengeful. It almost sounds like misunderstood. It's legitimately looking for people to come be with it. Mm. Like there's a level of like... Ooh, okay. But then like why does it... But then there's the whole like why does it choose these people? Like if it was just killing the people that killed it and it was like looking for, air quote, his friends back, that would be one thing. But the fact that it's going after those people's loved ones almost yeah. comes across more vengeful. So it's a mixed message in my book. And I'm wondering, okay. this is one of those, like, if I were to sit down with the writer of this episode or the creator, I would legitimately have to ask, like, which angle were you going for in this one? Because I don't think mm. either one is wrong, per se. And I think both could be yep. written. But I don't I think it could be both at the same time, necessarily. Exactly. No, that's true. It's not quite reconcilable. Because, so in the episode at one point, Dean, I think, says to Bill Carlton, he's killing off, talking about Peter, he's killing off all of your children so that you can feel the way that his mother felt when she Mm -hmm. lost him. And then he's going to get you. And, you know, you said that it feels like dying. It's worse than dying comes back. And I think to me, like, that's how I've managed to explain it. And therefore, like, that's why I see it more as vengeance. I agree. Um, I, I think if I had to, like, take a stab at it, I would say it's the vengeance angle. But that mm-hmm. line of come play with me, I'm not sure if maybe it was written into the script at a point where it meant something a little different. And they sort of just kept it because it sounded good and creepy because it does. Yes. <laughs> I think if I had to put money on the table, it's the vengeance. Cool. Well, so then what do you think that the boys learn from this with regards to their own need for vengeance? I feel like with any vengeance storyline, that is kind of the ultimate message is vengeance is not necessarily what you should be after. Mm -hmm. Uh, That vengeance just begets more hate and more evil. I don't think it's going to stop either one of them from going after whatever killed uh, Mary and Jess. But I think it does paint the picture of how scary something out for revenge can get yeah. and whether they see themselves in the spirit, which I really don't think they do per se. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that's a message they're trying to get through to the audience of look at what a vengeful anything can do and how traumatic you know, revenge can be. Yeah. Then transposing it onto the brothers of like, yeah, vengeance bad. Yes, and I I fully agree with that reading, personally. (laughs) That's the way that I saw it. And we can see also that warning people against vengeance doesn't work. (laughs) No, no, it does not. Even us, as watchers of the show, we're still very strongly rooting for the boys to achieve their revenge. Mm -hmm. And yet, we're not rooting for the vengeful spirit in the same way. So there's clearly like a difference in the way that... in potentially due to proximity we're much emotionally closer to sam and dean but we can see and understand that vengeance is bad and yet we can't stop ourselves from rooting for vengeance for the boys so i think that that sort of like uncovers a really ugly side of humanity in a way Mm -hmm. i think had they had a more relatable character and not a monster of the week being the one with the vengeful acts Mm. it might have come across as a more powerful message of showing us a wronged human taking vengeance on something rather than a wronged in this case was a human but now spirit taking vengeance because you were a little dissociated from it i feel like if they and this is gonna sound crazy had written an episode where they were hunting a demon and they learned later on that, oh man, it wasn't a demon, it was another person getting revenge, and they then had mm-hmm. to put a stop to a person, it would have okay. been a much more poignant message. But at the same time, this early in the series, I don't think that's what they wanted per se. I think that's they fair. wanted to just get the flavor in the viewer's mind of vengeance bad, maybe think about that with the brothers. Yeah, well, so you're you're dovetailing really nicely into critical time. So oh. is there, <laughs> yes, you are. Is there something specific that you'd like to start by bringing up here? So for critical time, there's one point that I am somewhat critical of that I really want to look at, and that is disability. Okay, say more. So very often in stories, we have a character with a disability, whether it be something physical or, in this case, something mental, like a traumatic experience causing them to no longer speak and again ultimately if it is something that can be cured like an injury 
it would make sense, but to magically go from this traumatic experience causing this child not to speak to, again, another pretty traumatic experience, and then magically can speak again, proving that he's been cured, downplays disability. And it's the equivalent of a character in a wheelchair suddenly being able to magically walk. You're telling the viewer that being in a wheelchair is a bad thing. Here we're telling a viewer who might be mute or have gone through a similar, not a similar experience, but might have gone through something that has left them traumatized in a way where they don't speak to not be able to feel worthy because they go, well, I haven't gotten past my issue and I still can't speak. So am I not good enough? It's mm-hmm. not fair. I understand it's a, it's a writing crutch. It is taking something that is wrong, air quotes, with a person and correcting it to show that they have moved past it and have become cured. But that is not how the real world works. I have a very personal connection with someone in a very similar scenario who went through a traumatic time in her life and stopped speaking and took years of therapy and years of getting through it and just personal growth to be able to change into a way where she feels comfortable speaking again. But I don't think it's fair. I imagine, I can't speak for her, but I can imagine someone watching a character who they can connect to suddenly magically be cured because the show dictates that what they were doing was wrong and now what they're doing is right can be very hurtful to a viewer. I fully agree with that. So my research and my master's project is actually about chronic illness, Mm -hmm. particularly chronic pain. And one of the things that comes back, especially at the beginning of the pain journey, is the thought that you're going to get to be cured and that the only path to healing is through curing the pain. Mm -hmm. The way that you're talking about disability really reminds me of that because the people who seem to be doing better with coping with their pain are the ones who see healing not as curing of the pain, but more as learning to live with it. You know, it's obviously not always perfect because uh, my supervisor, Dr. Richard Hovey, says pain is a dance where some days it will lead and other days you will lead. Um, and I sort of, yeah, it's, it's, I do really cool research and I have an amazing supervisor. I'm very, very, very lucky. <laughs> so yeah, so what I'm seeing here is that idea, per, you know, the perpetration of that idea where the only path to healing is through curing. So like you said, it was a writing crutch to sort of say, well, he is healed now, therefore he is cured. Or more like he is cured, therefore he is healed. And that is a false narrative Mm -hmm. because Lucas will have to deal with this for the rest of his life, right? Yeah. And if we were to bring that back to Dean, I guess it's to say that his path to healing doesn't like it doesn't go through curing it, right? Curing his trauma. You can't cure Mm -hmm. trauma. You can heal from it, but you can't cure it. No. And an action like maybe hunting down the thing that killed your mother and getting revenge on it isn't going to magically make things better. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Wow. We got so deep with critical time. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> so if we want to just maybe talk about something else, do we want to, I'll again have a little, it's, I guess it's not tri- trivia, but it's just a little observation Please. that, you know, they start the episode being agents Hamill and Ford and that the little boy's name is Lucas. It's very Star Wars. Yeah, uh, I, I caught the Hamill and Ford thing right away <laughs> and did not get the Lucas one until just now. And I'm hitting myself for it for being such... I literally, like, to paint to a picture of my re- recording last night was I watched The Mandalorian and then sat down to watch Supernatural. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I feel like it could have been... You could have seen it, but no. But it's okay because I didn't see it until last time. Where I was like, Hamill and Ford, Hamill and Ford. Oh, Lucas. Hamill yeah. and Ford Lucas. What? <laughs> like Hamill and Ford right away. I was like, oh, that's cute. Like just kind of a nod to being a nerd. But it didn't yes. even click the Lucas thing. Like that just did not in a million years that click. I'm so <laughs> embarrassed I missed that. But it's. No, 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 no. Don't be embarrassed at all. But I think but I think it's really cute. I kind of like that playfulness in them that it's we're working, but we can be fun. Also, on a side note, do they ever give fake agent names and not get caught for doing it? This is three episodes in a row. They're called out for not being who they say they are. Do they ever get away with it, those poor kids? Like, they get I want, better. I want, <laughs> I want a scorecard. Like, I legitimately, we were going to keep a scorecard. If they ever successfully, like, trick somebody and permanently make it through the whole episode and not get called out for being liars, they get a point. I am keeping a tally. Oh, 
Okay, cool. You should definitely start that because it gets, uh, I mean, especially when they start impersonating FBI agents, that's when I think people do take them much more seriously and they don't really question it anymore. Yeah, I'm sorry. The whole park ranger thing and not knowing about the dam, like you kind of put your foot in your mouth there, Dean. (laughs) Yes, yes. But I think that that also is something that comes with their inexperience with hunting, right? True. Yeah, so it could act as like a growing feature where like, oh, see, they're getting better at lying which is a weird thing to get better at but like if you keep doing it you will get better at it i guess and i guess for them it's a relevant skill it sort of is especially you know the type of lifestyle that they're living so you know credit card fraud comes up too (laughs) i mean it already has in the first episode like sam pulls out of dean's car a box full of fake credit cards (laughs) and then you even have dean's like rationale of it's their fault for sending it to me it's like as much as i take it as a joke it still kind of becomes a i don't see something wrong with the action i'm taking because i'm doing it for the greater good like i'm stealing Mm. money from these companies to fuel my ability to go hunt demons and save lives. Thus, my breaking the law is justified. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I didn't expect we would go with this angle, but I now have happy I brought it up. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, okay, cool. Let's do that. Do we want to talk about women? Yes, because this episode has a lot to talk about with women. <laughs> would you like to start? With the chauvinistic view that is all over this episode of pretty much... <laughs> We spend the first chunk of the episode up until the, like, like our air quote, our cold open is literally just shots of a scantily clad woman in a bikini underwater where it's pretty much focused on her bottom half for the majority of it. We then have a woman who is at least somewhat more characteristic in Andrea, who is surprisingly better, but still ends by kissing Dean. Even if you can write it off as a thank you, it's still like you didn't have to. You were so good at not being a sex object. And then to the end of it, you Mm. have to do the classic. Well, he saved my son and made him talk again. At least I can do is give him a little smoocheroo. It's like you could have just said thank you. You could have just given him a hug. You could have just said something meaningful. It doesn't need to be a kiss. And then we still have the whole Andrea in the bathtub scene, which is just the perfect, like the fact they've positioned her in front of a mirror. So even though you can't see anything, you can see a little more. It's just, it's unnecessary. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, so if we just go back to Sophie quickly, when Mm -hmm. she's swimming, what you're talking about before the, the, you know, the cold open. I mean, the comment by her brother is very clearly meant to be as a, you know, it's meant to be... Uh, misogynist so that's not really a concern to me but what I really disliked is the fact that she's supposed to be a competitive swimmer right a varsity swimmer and yet Mm -hmm. to go swimming to go work out she's wearing a two-piece bikini her hair is untied she's not wearing a hair uh, like a a cap and she has no goggles I used to swim this is not how you go swim I'm sorry and so that definitely especially this time around where we're taking a more critical look at it has really been bothering me. So having not come from a background of competitive swimming like you have, I didn't see that right away. But now that you say it, it does make sense. Again, if we yeah, go through the lens of this awkward. is clearly... Yeah, it's, it's, it's the male gaze. It's literally... If we're, yeah. we're going to put a woman in this scenario, she might as well be eye candy, which is a terrible way to look at it. Yeah, basically. I agree. If we move on to Andrea a little bit, I mm-hmm. agree that the, the kiss on the lips was not necessary. No. I do note, though, that Dean doesn't really seek her out, right? Like, he doesn't... He hits on her a little bit at first, but that's really it. And and like I said, I think that his most important bond or his most important relationship in this episode is with Lucas, not with Andrea. Mm-hmm. So I think that at this point, we could maybe look at the kiss on the lips as, you know, not something that is initiated by Dean, but something that's truly initiated by her. And so what does that say about the show or about the beliefs held by the writers? Does it mean that if a man does something nice for you, then the only way to show appreciation is through physical touch? And so does that mean that a man is entitled to that once he does something nice for you? Hmm. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of people in the world who would look at that and go, yes, unfortunately, which is incredibly wrong. Please, if you are a listener and you were having a moment now going, no, I totally agree with Dean, please email us so we can talk because I'd like to help you get through this because that's a very inappropriate view to have on the world. But frankly, Dean's not doing much. I mean, I will defend him on this. Like Dean as a character is not... He's not the one who's who asked for it. He's not I hate to use that, but he's not the one who 
hinted that she should kiss him. It's clearly her kissing him of her own will. What I'm more concerned about is what that says, like the commentary on society. No, exactly. It's it's a commentary on the people in the world who were involved in the creation of this moment, the the yeah. writers and producers and directors, whoever that falls upon, who feel like this is the appropriate response. Whereas from a viewer standpoint, looking at it now, I think it devalues the connection that Dean had with Lucas. Because mm. it needs to be... The reward of, again, as much as we've said, him suddenly talking is already problematic in its own way. Yeah. The connection to Lucas, curing Lucas... And saving Lucas should be the rewards, and that's where it should have ended. But they need to put the bow on the present of, well, we can't leave Dean with just good feelings. We need to show the audience that she is thankful, and how do women mm. show they are thankful but through sexual gratification, even if it's just a kiss. Yeah. It's it's a very, yeah. very inappropriate so and very problematic outlook. And you're right, in this case, Dean really wasn't the problem in this one it's really the people outside of the show like for once yeah. in this scenario like last episode we said it was very much dean being a little piggish and even here we also i really talk about women we never talked about the waitress ah uh, yes the waitress oh yes oh i mean there's a world to say about dean's misogyny right i like i'm i'm really not going to debate this because there's mm-hmm. no redeeming dean when it comes to that but yeah, with Andrea specifically, that's what comes to mind. With the waitress, the unnamed waitress, mm-hmm. I mean, again. He does refer to her as fun. Yes, <sighs> that's fun. Not even she's fun. That is fun. It's so yeah. dehumanizing. And Ugh. again, like, I feel like we can, we're, we're apologizing all the time. I don't want this to come across as an apologetic comment because, again, as we have both said, there is no apologizing for the misogyny, especially that which we see in Dean right now. Yeah. But. I feel like from a shitty writing perspective, it's showing Dean's how misogynistic he can be only mm-hmm. so that when he interacts with Andrea and isn't misogynistic, he is rewarded. Oh, so you mean like to contrast like, mm-hmm. okay, I see. Like the equivalent, like the equivalent would be if we saw somebody murdering somebody and then later gave them a medal for not murdering somebody. It doesn't undo the previous murder. And it doesn't make you a good person. It makes you slightly less of an evil prick. So oh, Dean goodness. was a terrible person to this woman in the way he treated her. And then was not terrible to another woman and deserves to be kissed because of it. Is, again, a terrible message to any viewer. And if you were arguing this fact for any reason, you were looking at it going, well, no, actually, I think, please email me so I can set you straight. Please. <laughs> Let me yell at somebody. Oh, <sighs> thank you, Drew, for that. <laughs> Today, we have a voicemail from Shauna, which we'll be listening to right here. Hi, guys. I think it is great that you are doing a podcast on Supernatural. As 2020 has been a little bit of a rough year, everyone can use a little more positivity. And I think it's also very fitting as we're watching the series come to an end after 15 arguably up and down years some uh, seasons a little bit better than others but I find it really interesting uh, to talk about the earlier seasons especially the first season now you know 15 years later after everything else has kind of transpired and I go back and I watch the the first few episodes and there's just this it's a very different tone to everything how Sam and Dean interact you know the the feel of the monster of the week vibe that you get everything's so much more lighthearted than what we've experienced you know at the end there and i think in the first few episodes of the first season it's actually really obvious and it reminds me in the way that they you know they really pitch this dichotomy between sam and dean and sam is the smart one who went to college and he's so angry at their dad and i forget that he's such an angry person and that and those like you know, the first uh, season, I think. And Dean just always following orders. And it's something that does come up in the first few seasons as part of that arc in season five. But it's just really interesting to watch it in the first few episodes when they're really trying to make you think that's who they are as people. And you don't really get that vibe between them as much now. But it also kind of makes it seem like 
you get the feeling that what they do, you know, is important to them, but it's not, it doesn't carry the same weight as what they do now. So it's very interesting watching the first couple episodes and how they're saving people and this viewpoint of it's almost like fun, but there's responsibility there where later on they take it so much more seriously and probably because they have experienced so much more you know, chaos and tragedy as the show progresses. But I can't help but watch the, the first season and just kind of enjoy the fact that it is a little bit more simplistic and I'm not thinking about all the other things happening in the future with angels and apocalypse and God and everything like that. So yeah, it's great uh, that you guys are doing this and I look forward to hearing more podcasts. That was lovely. Thank you, Shauna, for your voicemail. We always appreciate hearing from fans of the show and fans of the podcast, too. It's a nice little bonus. But I do want to touch on something you brought up, and I really do like how these episodes really treat the brothers with a bit of jovialness. There is kind of that level of, like, this is new and exciting that I guess could maybe be misconstrued as just the show trying to write a little bit of comedy and a little bit of fun into the air. But at the same time, it's the brothers bonding and going through things together and they have good chemistry with each other, which is I'm fairly sure going to be clear throughout this entire series. But I do like that. We do get a lot more of them being joyful. And if, as you said, we were going to learn that they do get a little more hardened over time, that does make sense. So it gives us a really nice contrast of where they start. And I look forward to doing a full series recap one day when we get to see how they ended the series, which I still have not been fully spoiled on and how they started the series. Shauna, thank you so much for sending us a voicemail. We we definitely appreciate it. I <laughs> I can't help but listen to what you had to say and just agree with everything. <laughs> I mean, I love the earlier seasons for the same reason as you. It just seems like a simpler time, you know? To me, it's like, oh yeah, when the filter was still on. So long as the filter is still on, then we're in a happier or at least lighter space than what the brothers and and their family go through in some later seasons. So it's it is definitely a relief right now to be uh, to be diving back into season one. So thank you, thank you for reminding me of that today. So here we have what is slowly becoming my favorite part of each episode is this whole crossroads thing. I really like. And sometimes it comes to me right away. Sometimes it comes to me mid-recording. And sometimes mm. I'm really digging for something, even in just three episodes of recording. But I love the idea of being able to look at the episode and with a better worldview, a more understanding view, or just a more critical view, ask for a change. And I think I'm going to go back to something I was really uh, critical of, and that is Lucas's ability to speak. I think I would have preferred not recovering from it i think i would have preferred seeing whether it just be a moment with dean like i'm trying to think what it could mm. be but some moment with dean that proves hey you yeah. helped me thank you whether it be like giving him another drawing that just sort of showed thank you for what you've done but i still have my own life ahead of me that i have to learn to grow and find my own path to salvation in leaving dean with that still leaving dean ultimately with the I did a good thing and I'm happy for what I've done and this kid is going to be better because of it. But not having to do that blatant remove a disability to prove someone is worthy of being a better person. I love that. Thank you for that deal. On my end, I think I would remove that kiss at the end. It was just a little strange to me. Um, you know, beyond beyond even the misogyny, you know, you're kissing somebody who hasn't shown any real interest in kissing you. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's a little awkward and a little dated in the way that relationships are portrayed on TV. Again, this show is 15 years old, so okay, but not okay. So I, I would definitely remove that. And I would have hoped, you know, the fact that she brought them lunch is already enough. She could have hugged him, yeah. like you said. So there would have been a lot of alternatives besides that kiss. And um, it just really didn't do it for me. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the bringing lunch was enough. The again the problematic but like him talking again lucas was enough i even think there could have been maybe a callback to their first meeting where like she makes a comment of oh by the way the highway is two blocks up that way like a 
we have a friendship we have yeah. a kinship we can joke about something we we have started forming a that. friendly relationship that mm-hmm. does not necessarily have to escalate to physical contact in this way yeah agreed uh, absolutely and also i'm just i'm just gonna say it too i'm like 99 percent sure though sam was very secondary in this episode i think he had the more relationship with andrea than dean did Yes, yes. And I was just thinking that as I was watching the episode, because as I as I keep saying, the true bond in this in this story is between Dean and Lucas. On the flip side, whenever Dean is with Lucas, Sam is with Andrea. And so it would have made sense for Andrea to, like, show appreciation to Sam in a way. Um you know, perhaps, again, not really in a physical contact kind of way. But, you know, again, moving on from that. Yeah, like, I, I, I could see the, like, the, again, let's put on my 2015 yeah. writing for a male audience hat, which unfortunately we all have because we've... Oh, 2005, 15 years ago, right? I know. <laughs> but, like, I could have even seen, like, at the end she hugs Dean, but gives Sam a kiss, and then they have that look, and Dean goes... What? And Sam goes, well, you were always hanging out with Lucas. We got to know each other. (laughs) Implying that they maybe had grown a relationship that we were not seeing on camera where a kiss may have even been appropriate. Yeah. I still think unnecessary. Yeah, still unnecessary. But ultimately, I could see that. I'm sure I've seen that in a show and I'm just repeating something I've seen (laughs) on another show at this point. Because who hasn't seen that? No, but I, I agree with you. The only, like, there are two things that I'll just bring up about that. It is mm-hmm. Dean who pulls Lucas out of the water. And mm-hmm. so as a mother, I can tell you that I would be very grateful to anybody who would like, you know, pull my child out of the water. And two, I think that it would have been contrary to Sam's arch right now, like his narrative arch, where, you know, to him, the only woman that matters is Jessica. Mm-hmm. So I can see that that wouldn't have worked either, but I'm... Again, like I, yeah, my deal is just to remove that kiss entirely and just to stick with what was there. So ultimately, we both agree this was a great episode, but had we just altered that last scene ever so slightly, it could have been perfect. (laughs) It just needed to be tweaked just a bit, just a bit. Uh, So by combining our crossroads, we just fixed one scene. (laughs) Yes, we fixed one scene, one episode, one episode, fixing Supernatural one episode at a time. If that is not a tagline for this show going forward, I don't know what is. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigahu, and myself, Drew Shulman. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Music for weekly content, including special episodes. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at Carrying Wayward. And don't forget to send us a voicemail at carryingwayward at gmail.com. This week, we'd like to thank Shauna for her voicemail. Until next time. Carry on, our wayward friends.